And thank you all for being here with us this morning. As Wes mentioned earlier, this is a special day for us when we're focusing on the opportunities we have to serve with uh, in some of our local ministries. And uh, if you look just for a moment at the bulletin you got on the way in, when you open it up in the middle panel, you will see some special community outreach days that have been planned on dates in the month of May. Um, our local missions team is led by uh, Michelle Lamore and her wonderful team, and they have done a great job in setting up these special opportunities. So before the day ends, you'll see them in the coffee bar, and uh, you'll have opportunity to sign up for some of those. Also want to say at the uh, into the message in just a few minutes here. We have some very special guests who are going to be on the stage. Uh, the Cherry Street Ensemble, uh, gifted folks who uh, I've had the privilege to hear before at our prison on Cherry Street as part of the Versailles Jail and Prison Ministry. So we're really excited about that today. I'd like to begin this morning with where we left off last week, and that is with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is foundational to the Christian faith, as we saw last week. His followers have, as a result of his resurrection, a new identity, a new purpose, a new perspective toward life. But the bodily resurrection of Jesus also confirms his authority. And uh, as Allison read a moment ago from the Gospel of John chapter 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. So after his resurrection, they're fearful of the uh, uh, Jewish authorities, the disciples are, and then Jesus uh, doesn't have to come through the door. He just stands in their midst and says, peace be to you. And when he says this, he shows them his hands and his side. It's at this point that Jesus gives a commission to his followers that we're going to look at this morning, commissioned whereby they are sent into the world. But the first thing I want to note is that the resurrection uh, establishes this authority by which Jesus then commissions his disciples. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, very end of that gospel, Jesus uh, appears to his followers after his resurrection, and he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. His resurrection establishes his authority. Likewise, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, it appears to his disciples, much as in the Gospel of John, they see his hands and his feet, he commissions them into this mandate that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his nation, in his name to all nations. So in this authority, he begins to commission his disciples. And in so doing, Jesus sends his disciples into the world as his representatives. Now here in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to his followers, Peace be to you as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Now, the first question that may come to mind is, is this commission, this sending, only for these original apostles? Those we call the apostles, these disciples in the room. I think the answer to that question is no. I think it applies to each one of us who is a follower of Jesus. 
We can back up a little bit into John chapter 17 and read these words. They come from a prayer of Jesus as he's speaking to the Heavenly Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. As we follow the disciples throughout uh, the book of Acts, we see that it's not only the, the original apostles that are obeying this mandate as sent people, but every follower of Jesus seems to be embracing this call sent into the world as his representatives as his ambassadors. You may see a phrase uh, frequently in our church, uh, particularly if you happen to read the small print on the front of the bulletin, and it says, uh, building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. That is our mission statement, and it's part of something that we call our vision frame. You'll see it on the screen right now. Think of the vision frame uh, much as you'd, you'd look through a, a window frame. But in this case, looking into the future, and in the future is our Vision 2025. That's about a page and a half document that you can read on our website, but it expresses what we hope and pray and seek will be a reality for our church in the year 2025. But as you make your way around the outside of the frame, on the right you see Mission. We believe God has called us to be building followers of Jesus here in our church who are sent to reach others. That is, our focus is on spiritual formation, discipleship, helping people grow in their faith with the result that they're not just Christians full of knowledge, but that we each embrace our identity as sent people, sent into our spheres of influence in the world to take the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus, the message of Jesus, to his world. And we, we believe that's his commission for his followers everywhere. If we were to uh, read the Vision 2025, right in the middle of it, we'd find these words. The people of River Oaks recognize that their own spiritual growth should overflow into God's blessing upon the surrounding community. And we pray this will be a reality several years from now in 2025. Care for the poor and afflicted, service to the schools, and strategic church planning all reflect this overflow. While 80% of River Oaks members serve locally in some way, dozens of others have been called to missions overseas. That's a really high percentage for any church to have actively involved in serving outside the walls of the church. It's more than twice the number now. I don't know the exact percentage now who are serving in some way in local ministries, but I'm sure that's, this is more than twice that much. If we, had, if we have 1,000 members, that's 800 people regularly going out involved in this local community, serving the incarcerated, the poor, the needy, serving uh, at our local crisis pregnancy center, Salem Pregnancy Care Center. On the next page, you'll see just a few more words of this 2025 vision, I believe. I think, maybe not. Well, let's skip ahead then. Third uh, point, that we're sent by Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In uh, John 20, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus doing here? Did they not have the Holy Spirit before? Is this when the Holy Spirit came? It's not crystal clear, frankly. But one thing we know for certain, every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit now dwelling within. And shortly after this, Jesus would make a declaration to his followers in the book of Acts, it's recorded, chapter 1 and verse 8. If you advance ahead on the slides, a couple slides, you'll see that. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I believe the, the Bible is very clear that if you have embraced Jesus as your Savior, recognizing your sin, your need, and believing that when he died on the cross and he shed his blood, he paid the price for that sin. He took your place. He bore your judgment. He rose from the dead. And through your faith in him, you're, you're a Christian. Uh, the Bible calls it being born from above or born again. And that only happens as the Holy Spirit is at work in us. So Paul the Apostle says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. But the Bible calls us further to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul issued this as a command to Christians, to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? I think it means in part to be wholly, fully, completely yielded to the Holy Spirit, submitted to his control, asking him to fill you with his grace and his power. Are you doing that as you make your way through life, as you go out into your own sphere of influence every day? In the book of Acts, we see the apostles early disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of that was they began speaking God's word to other people with great boldness. We see God's power operative in our lives. That same power, of course, is available today because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our lives can be far more empowered by the Holy Spirit, I believe, than we have seen before. And if our vision 2025 is ever to become a reality here, we must experience corporately and individually a greater work of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'd ask you this morning, are you desiring a greater work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Asking him to fill you with his power, his grace, and his gifts. Jesus explained to his own disciples they shouldn't even attempt to go out taking the gospel until they were endued with this power from on high. The same power, Scripture says, that is promised to you and me today. We're further sent with the power of the gospel, the message itself. Now we come to the verse that is, I think, the most challenging verse in the Gospel of John to interpret and understand because Jesus is something remarkable to his own disciples. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, did these apostles, the ones he was speaking to in that moment, did they have the authority to actually forgive sins or withhold forgiveness? And do we have the authority to pronounce somebody forgiven? Some 
uh, streams of the Christian church over the years have thought this verse means that those uh, descending in authority from the apostles had, had the special right to hear confession of sins and then extend forgiveness. In some uh, church uh, traditions, that has been the case. So how do we understand this verse? I think the best way to understand it is to look at what these apostles and disciples actually did after they got this mandate. And what they actually did was to go out and proclaim the gospel, thereby revealing the way people can have forgiveness of sins. I believe what's meant here is that by sharing of the message of the gospel of Jesus, we are indeed opening the way for people to have forgiveness of sins. And by not sharing it, we are limiting that and not opening that door to them. Uh, Jesus himself gave this mandate after his resurrection in the book of uh, uh, Gospel of Luke. Uh, he himself is speaking when he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So this is what he's calling his followers to do, to take this message of the gospel whereby uh, we repent, we place faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, and it's a message that's to be proclaimed. In the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, we see what Peter, the apostle said in, in the first great sermon on the day of Pentecost, He's speaking to thousands of people when he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how is he extending forgiveness? He's doing it by proclaiming this message of the gospel, inviting people to come to faith in Jesus and receive forgiveness of their sins. In Acts 13 and verse 38, we see the Apostle Paul speaking. And he says, let, this be, let it not be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, and he's speaking of Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Proclaim means to, to preach, to declare. So it's through, I believe, the sharing of the message that we open the way for people to respond and to see, receive, then, forgiveness of sins. For example, if you're serving... Uh, one evening, as I hope you will, at the uh, Samaritan Inn downtown, and you're serving food to some of the homeless guests that come through, and you get a chance to sit down sometimes after dinner and visit with some of the guests, and someone begins to ask you, uh, you know, how come you, you seem at peace? Uh, and, and this person explains, I'm weighted down with guilt for my past. What are you going to do? Well, you can share the message of the gospel whereby that person can have forgiveness of sins and that guilt be taken away. So how are you and I sent into the world? I think we are each sent first into a specific sphere of influence. That's your family, your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, it's important to ask God, why have you put me where I am? Sometimes I'll hear people complain about where they work. And they'll say, I sure wish I could work uh, with only Christians like you do on a church staff because the place I work, 
I'm the only Christian there. And you wouldn't believe the things I got to hear, the language I got to hear. But guess what? You have the opportunity there to represent Jesus Christ, to be his witness, to be his light. It's a phenomenal opportunity. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Sometimes I hear people say, I'm the only Christian in my family. And we go to family gatherings. It's, it's just kind of a difficult environment for me to be in. But guess what? God has placed you there as his representative. He, he sent you there. He's called you there to begin praying for them. And as opportunities come to share the message of the gospel, whereby they too can come to know Jesus and become his followers. So we each have a specific sphere of influence. All of us, I think, are called to care for people in need because this is the calling of God's people from beginning to end of the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets are always speaking to the people of Israel about their need to have greater care and compassion for the poor, for the weak, for the vulnerable, for those in need. In the New Testament, Jesus, of course, emphasizes this. He says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks to the fact that Peter, James, and John were okay with his ministry, they were giving approval to, to Paul to, to be sent forth in ministry, he said, only they asked us to remember the poor very thing I was eager to do. Peter, James, and John, they'd been around Jesus, and they knew the importance in ministry and taking the gospel to the world to consider the poor, to care for them, to help them. And Paul says, they just reminded me of that, and that's the very thing I was eager to do. James would write religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to, to keep oneself unstained from the world. The ministry of compassion for the church, meeting the needs of orphans and widows. The vulnerable, and they may be the vulnerable in the womb. That's why we support wonderful ministries like Salem Pregnancy Care Center who are out there to, to help people in their time of crisis like Lauren. Sometimes a charge is leveled against uh, people uh, who are pro-life, people like me and People sometimes say, well, you just care for people, you know, the unborn in the womb. You don't care for the, the born in need. My response to that is I see no division there whatsoever. What I see in our church are tons of people who are foster parenting and adopting kids and serving the needy, the hungry, the addicted, the abused, the incarcerated. God's people are called to care for the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, in whatever state they may be. It's part of our mission. As Psalm 82 says, rescue the weak and the needy. All God's people are sent to a specific sphere of influence and to care for the needy. And then thirdly, to help the church reach the unreached world. As focused as we should be locally, we must never forget the unreached world. Uh, one of the greatest preachers that's ever preached in our church is Tejado Hanshell, Bishop Tejado Hanshell. He's one of my favorite preachers, and he's preached in our church a, a number of times. And he said this to me, and I, and I took it as a great compliment to all of you. Uh, because he preaches a lot. He preaches a lot of different places. And he said, um, I find this to be true in most places where I preach. 
churches are either all in for international missions with little concern about their local area, or they're all concerned for their local area with no thought given to the unreached of the world, world missions. He said, but what I see here is that, is that you're, you're doing both. And I, I felt it was a, a wonderful word for our church. We're not doing both as we should be or as we want to be, as we certainly hope to be in the year 2025. But it's what we're called to do is God's people. We serve all we can where we are, but we never forget those who've never had one opportunity to hear the message of the gospel. I want to draw to a close now so you can... Uh, have the privilege of uh, seeing and hearing from our special guests. But as we close in prayer, I want to ask you to join me, not just now, but in the days and months ahead for praying that our 2025 vision would become a reality. If you don't have a copy of it, get it on our website and just maybe fold it up in your Bible and pray, pray for that to become a reality from time to time. So would you join me as we pray now? Father, we know we have not been the disciples yet that we need to be. We know we've not yet become the church you've called us to be, but we want to experience a greater endowment of your power, a greater outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We long for this. We pray for this. Would you pour your grace upon us individually and corporately as a church that we might be your sent people your ambassadors to the lost, to the hurting, the needy, the vulnerable, to take your love and to take the truth of your gospel to our world. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.